This is a podcast from Minute Media. country we're back on the front porch with off leo's rocker this is alan carpenter from tomahawktake.com i'm with senior writer fred owens here out in the heat how there i'm trying to stay cool and failing <laughs> well we've had a bunch of news this week a lot of news that we've had the major league draft we had the all-star game we've got trade rumors running amok because of things happening in the rest of the league We've got a lot to get to, and we want to try and, and do that. But first, let me uh, start talking about the draft. The Atlanta Braves did what they usually do. They foiled the experts. All the mock drafts were wrong, as usual. And there's been a whole lot of players picked in, in an attempt to try and replenish this uh, farm system that the Braves got. 22 picks have been made over the 20 rounds of the draft. And Fred's got some news, too, of some some undrafted free agents. And let me just go over a real quick recap of the draft. The Braves took 11 pitchers in the 20 rounds, two catchers, two third basemen, at least technically third basemen. One of them, I think, is going to end up as a DH at least. A second baseman, a first baseman, three outfielders, and two shortstops. Of that group, six of the players were high school kids, four of those pitchers, two outfielders otherwise, four JUCO players, and 12 four-year collegiates. First round pick, first overall pick for the Braves at slot number 20 was pitcher Owen Murphy, who's got a heck of a, a resume on his ledger from his time in high school. Kid at the number 35 slot, J.R. Ritchie, that the Braves were reportedly shocked to still see on the board at that point. And a Tommy John refugee named Cole Phillips. And he turns out to be the first of these big names that have signed with the Braves. We don't have the terms of the deal yet, but he is now a member of the Atlanta Braves organization. Let's talk about a couple other things real quick before I turn it over to Fred for some additional info. One is that this is going to be a very busy time for general managers. Uh, we thought that coming out of the lockup, a lockout before maybe it was a lockup before the start of spring training that the general managers were going to have to do a whole lot of stuff to get things going and get players signed before spring training they're going to have a lot of work to do this week too because we are very close already to a couple of deadlines the deadline for signing those draft picks that have been selected is august 1st at 5 p.m eastern time the very next day at 6 p.m. is the trade deadline. I was wondering why it was all the way to August 2nd. Now I know it's because of the, uh, the draft pick deadline on the August 1st. So Monday and Tuesday that week are going to be very busy times to try and see if they can get all that done because, of course, nobody does anything before deadlines. So I think that we're going to see a lot of scrambling, a whole lot of activity on August 1st and 2nd, and those things are going to be keeping these general managers up very late over the, that last weekend before then. A couple other pieces of news here. The first overall pick in the draft, Jackson Holiday, son of Matt Holiday, has been signed. He is now a member of the Orioles at $8.19 million. 
and a couple of bucks and change less than that, Drew Jones, the son of Andrew, has signed at $8.189 million. He's a Diamondback. Funny uh, trend that came along in this draft of, of bloodlines. If you were a brother, a son of a major league player, there's a good chance you got drafted in the first round. Heck, even Dayton Moore's son was uh, was drafted, and he's a general manager. So there's a lot of that bloodline stuff that seemed to gather a bunch of respect from the major league teams. That was kind of interesting. But other than that, I want to turn it over to Fred and see, number one, who are these undrafted free agents that got picked up, and did he notice anything particular about this draft that is, is worthy of mention? Well, two that I know have been picked up is a fellow named Nick Clarno. He's a catcher out of Lenora Rhine University. He's supposed to have an electric arm. He's thrown out uh, 10 of 14 runners this year. His batting average has jumped from 260 last year to 341 so far this year. He's just come a long way. Strikeouts are way down. You read the, read the information about him and it sounds like, well, maybe they signed a bat. That they hope his offense comes up and he can play, but his coach says that he's he's going to be a really really fine catcher and nobody's going to run on him. So uh, I don't know, you know, college bats don't always translate well. Catchers have a hard time anyway. But we paid one hundred twenty five thousand. I paid him one hundred twenty five thousand, and uh, he's going he's coming along. The other guy is a right handed pitcher out of Southern Mississippi University named Hunter Riggins. Riggins is apparently a sort of diamond in the rough. He played three years at another university. I can't pull the name off the top of my head right now. He played three years at another university. Then he came into uh, Southern Mississippi this year, and he's 8-4 with a 275 ERA, uh, 79 strikeouts, 9 walks, uh, which is a really nice ratio. And we know if we know anything about Anthopolis, we know he likes that ratio. If he sees a lot of strikeouts and not many walks, you move up his list or Dana Brown's list in this case probably. Because these guys that we, we don't know about are guys that scouts have said, yeah, he's worth, he's worth throwing money at. So basically we signed a new battery, Hunter Riggins and Nick Clarno out of uh, Lenore Rhine. So that's the two uh, undrafted free agents. I'll try to get something together better than that for the weekend. Uh, but, um, you know, the undrafted free agents, those are the real lottery picks of the bunch. Uh, and the uh, the whole lottery of the whole draft year, this year was a yawner for me. I don't know um, exactly how anybody else feels about it, but none of, the, none of the selections for the Braves made me jump out of the air and say, yes, we got – I didn't say that. And I don't know. Maybe, Alan, did you feel any that way? <laughs> I, I didn't. Yeah, the first knee-jerk reaction I had when the when I saw these guys is that couldn't you have t- taken these guys maybe around later? Now, as I noted with J.R. Ritchie, they the Braves were shocked that he was available at position number thirty-five and at the end of the first round. So I I got to believe that these got, were guys that they're very high on. You mentioned uh, ratios of strikeouts to walks. All of these pitchers had extreme ratios that way 10 to 1 or better we we've got guys who've thrown perfect games guys who've thrown no hitters guys who had uh minuscule eras 
yeah, that's high school competition. Yeah, it may be a competition in a state that's not necessarily a hotbed for baseball, but you still got to be able to pitch if you're doing that kind of thing. The kind of scouting reports I was seeing talked about touch and feel, having command, command of multiple pitches. Um, these are the kind of things that you see about guys who maybe move up the system fairly quickly. So I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how this works out, but it, it does seem that they're high on these guys. And certainly Dana Brown, bless him, but we were worried like crazy when Brian Bridges was uh, let go in favor of Dana Brown and, and his uh, Alex Anthopoulos troop. I mean, he brought in his own guys. He has the right to do that, of course, but they've been producing as well. And you know, when you get guys in the third round like Michael Harris and or guys in the fourth round like Spencer Strider and bring them to the major leagues ahead, ahead of what normal schedule would be, you got to think something's there and you got to think that these guys know what they're looking for. The additional thing that I noted about this was that you look at the locations where these guys were being brought in from. They're literally all over the country. And in fact, you mentioned Canada a little earlier before we started this thing. We've got a couple of Canadians in here, even though they are brought in from the United States, they're still Canadians. <laughs> so it's this country and more. Uh, you know, we got guys from Illinois, Washington, Texas, Alabama, Missouri, North Carolina, California, Virginia, Oregon, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, New York State, and a couple more from California down at the end of the draft. These guys put out their binoculars with really high power on them. Uh, we had guys like Tim Hudson, who was the pitching, who is the pitching coach at Auburn and recommended that we get the fourth pick uh, for the Braves, Blake Burkhalter. He, at minimum, he's going to be a high power reliever. He could also be a starter. Tim was uh, teaching him a, a cutter and now he's got three pitches. Can you imagine? A, you know, this is almost unheard of this, these days, a, a pitcher who's a reliever who's got three pitches. <laughs> so he, he's got, uh, major leagues written all over him. And and you've had uh, other former players for the Braves recommending players that be picked, and so we've had eyes everywhere. The the Braves have taken full advantage of that, obviously. Will this be a replenishment of the farm system? Hard to tell, of course, but uh, I, I think uh, between the 22 picks and now undrafted free agents, I would imagine we'll get somewhere in the 10 to 12 of those guys range when, when it's all said and done. That'll certainly help out. And I, I like the, the trends that I'm seeing as far as that goes. Now the question is, will they perform? And you're not going to get hits on all of them, but you're going to get hits on some of them. And hopefully that'll work. Yeah, I, the only guy I looked at the list and said, well, you know, if I'm buying him, I'd like to buy this guy is, is Justin Janis, first baseman out of Illinois. And, and the reason I say that is because he hit 391 last year and he's hitting 361 this year. He's, he's, he's a, he's a, what, he's a really, really fine hitter, maybe the finest hitter in the group, but he doesn't have power. I think Mark Grace, okay, if you remember when Mark Grace was in his heyday and he was hitting line drives all over the field and he didn't hit home runs, but he hit doubles, doubles, triples, doubles all over, all over Wrigley up there, uh, then this is, that's who this guy sort of reminds me of. Uh, and if you've got a, you know, Hurt home runs are nice, but if you get a bunch of doubles and doubles and he hits consistently and with, puts the bat on the ball, uh, then, then you've got some. But I don't, as far as compared to other teams, well, you know, I don't, 
I wasn't really, I mean, I know everybody's hyping their stuff, and, and uh, the Texans got Rocker and the, the, the high school kid that they paid set, uh, slot, like the fourth slot money to. Brock but, Porter, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brock, he got like, $4.5 million or something like that. But having said that, they only got five draft, five picks in the draft. So <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you sort of, you don't blame them for doing that. Everybody, I don't think anybody ran out and said, "Hey, boy, look, we got, we just killed it in the draft." They got the players they wanted. There's good players. Some of these guys are going to come from come from nowhere. You're going to get guys like William Silva out of out of Miami, out of De- Miami Dade, come up, and all of a sudden, or, or Cedric de Grand Prix out of Canada is going to come up and be a pitcher. All of a sudden, that nobody really um, mentioned or thought about. But most of these guys are going to work, and a few of them are going to come through. We hope yeah. all of them do, but if, you know, as Alan said, if we have 11 pitchers, if we get three really ones out of that, it's been a, been a really great draft. I'm just hoping that we get these strategically plugged in and get the minor league system strong enough to move up from the 28th or 29th place wherever they have us, uh, as I sit here tonight. Uh, I, I think that, you know, you need that farm system even if you don't use it because people always think, well, they can they can come and trade for this guy or come and trade for that guy, and you've got to have the depth. You've got to be, have people to move up. I wanted more hitters, but uh, you, you, I was they didn't ask me. I don't know why. <laughs> now, now there is a hitter that I kind of like, or at least I'm intrigued by. That was David McCabe out of UNC Charlotte. He was the fourth round pick, uh, one, two, three, four, five, sixth overall by the Braves, <laughs> and. He's listed as a third baseman, but he's not going to play third base. He's going to be probably first base DH kind of a guy, and he slugs. For UNC Charlotte, I think I saw his OPS at something like 1,300 with a 750-ish slugging percentage. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm shortchanging him. So, yeah, he's he's a beast. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. hope he can hit in, in a wood bat league uh, like that because if he can, man, um, that that would be a great uh, addition as a DH. And if you want a hitter, that's probably your hitter. There's a lot of things that the Braves have done here. We don't know much about any of these guys, obviously, but we're just going to have to see how, how it all pans out. You mentioned the Rangers. With what they had available, they had a pick at number three. That became Kumar Rocker, which kind of shocked everybody right there. And then they had a pick at number 109. Uh, that was somewhere around uh, the early part of the fourth round, I think it was. Yeah, that's that's where they got this kid that fell like a rock because everybody thought he was going to go to college. Well, They've bought him. <laughs> so in terms of their drafts, on paper at least, they they made lemonade out of lemons. you, know, you got to at least tip your hat to them for giving it a shot. They swung for the fences, and they seem to have hit a, a home run here. But uh, the rest of their draft, probably not going to be much because they basically sacrificed everything they, they had in terms of their pool money to sign those two guys. So they're they're going to be hurting a little bit, but at the same time, yep, I'm not sure they care right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. And let's face it, the Rangers they signed Simeon and they signed Seager, uh, and uh, they've got Garcia coming on, uh, and so they're they're really in pretty good shape uh, right to, as a go for it now team. So Rocker makes a lot of sense for them, um, and I think that uh, this is they're, they're they're trying to jump back into annual contention for the division 
quicker than doing a five-year rebuild. The folks down in, in Arlington are trying to do, and, and I think this, the draft probably gave them that because Rocker Rocker could be up this year uh, for for them, at, you know, probably uh, September. But he's he could be up this year. Uh, he's going to be in their rotation next year. His buddy and uh, uh, their rotation next year already looks really good. So I I think you know the Rangers are going to be better next year than people think right now. Um, that'll make my oldest son really happy. And <laughs> I think it's good for baseball when the Rangers are uh, Rangers are out down here able to give Houston a run for their money. But uh, yeah, I'm looking at their draft, and after they signed, uh, and they signed some more prospects, but none of them I'd heard of, which doesn't make make mean that they're not good. It just means I don't read enough about the draft, I guess. Yeah, I suspect but, that they're they went lowball on the numbers guys they could at least sign, uh, just so they could save some money for those other guys. But yeah, you're right. Uh, his buddy Jack Leiter down there, also from Vanderbilt, that gives them a heck of a nice one-two punch uh, for their rotation, possibly starting next year. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to start that way next year. I, I you know, I, I just I think they could do some things in the off season as well because money they they see I got this big television contract a few years back. And so they have money, uh, and uh, so I think they'll do. I think they'll play in the free agent market again this winter. I I just don't, uh, but I think they'll go pretty big if they can find somebody. Let's move a little bit to the schedule here uh, coming up for the Braves. The Angels are coming into town this weekend. They aren't bringing Mike Trout with them because he's on the mend, but they do have Otani, and he's going to start on Friday night against Charlie Morton. That'll be an interesting matchup. Saturday gives us Wright versus Sandoval, and Sunday it finishes up with uh, Ian Anderson against Reed Detmers, the guy who threw the no-hitter earlier this year. But that may be misleading because Detmers kind of bought himself a couple more starts for that no-hitter, but then he was sent down to the minors. He's back now, obviously, but I I don't know that uh, he's – well, we'll just have to see how the – challenges the Braves hitters, but he was in double A last year. I, I knew that because he was local to me in Madison, Alabama, because he was a member of the Rocket City Trash Pandas then. But he's up in the majors and we'll we'll see how that goes. But it should be a series that the Braves win. The Friday night contest is going to be interesting to see if the real Otani shows up uh, on the pitching mound. He's been pretty good lately. Uh, but then the Phillies are uh, on the schedule to go to uh, the Braves go to Philadelphia right now their rotation doesn't look like it's been announced for that series but it does look like the Braves are going to miss Zach Wheeler because right now he is scheduled to pitch on Saturday night and the Phillies start on I think Monday the other question is I don't know what the status of Aaron Nola is because he was not listed they've only got Gibson and Wheeler listed among their starters and I think Gibson's the only one that's lined up right now to face Atlanta so We'll see how that one goes, but right now it's it's starting to look like the the Braves may have dodged a couple, a couple of nasty pitchers there. Finally, they have a lot of games left against the Phillies, so they'll probably get them eventually. But uh, we'll see how that one pans out. But for the next week, it's the Angels and the Phillies before we get together again.
that leads us to another topic. Wacky trade ideas. <laughs> and let, let's have, I, we're, we're going to have some fun with this, but at the same time, there's a, mer- a, a, a measure of plausibility that we can attach to this. This week, we've had the pleasure of hearing that Juan Soto decided to reject $440 million of a contract extension from the Nationals. And although I guess I understand some of the reasons that Scott Boris, his agent, has said that uh, this is so, at the same time, I'm thinking, holy cow, that's a lot of money to turn down. So apparently he's thinking half a billion at some point from somebody. The question is who? And right now everybody's kind of lining up their their prospects and lining up uh, in front of the Nationals front office to try and get a turn to try and convince them that they need Juan Soto on their team because it looks like before the trade deadline, I'd say there's probably about an 80% chance that he's going to be a member of some other organization. There's also the thought that has been raised that maybe the Angels might be willing to part with Shohei Otani. Uh, we'd been talking about guys like Noah Syndergaard, perhaps, but maybe if Otani's on the market, that might be interesting, too. But, Fred, what kind of things would it take to go get either one of those guys? And do you think the Braves even have a shot, or are they even caring? <laughs> well, point? I mean... You know, I will say that traditionally I would not say the Braves, this is something the Braves would do. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Uh, Afterwards, I'll get into the gee whiz, I could, I would do this. But, (laughs) but, but, okay, I, I when, when, when it came out that, uh, Soto was, was going to be traded, I said, I would push in the chips and get Soto now because you get him for three years. You get him for three, uh, two full seasons and this year, he is currently the best hitter in baseball. There's that's not even an argument. He may be having a down year, but hey, look, if you're playing for the Nationals, it's hard to keep keep yourself coming to the park every day. I think that you'll see teams open the book and say, if I bring him in now, Mr. Owner, we're going to be in postseason for three seasons, and that's something. You make so much more money when you do that. You make your fans so much happier when you do that, and. When you're in the postseason year after year, free agents want to come to your team, even if you can't sign him. And by the way, I think the mistake that the Nats was they went for uh, 14 years or whatever the hell it was, and he would have probably taken uh, a Scherzer-like contract for a higher AAV for like four years, and he could then go on the market again at 27. I don't know why the AAV on the big contract was like twenty nine five a year, and that's short of the best AAV, if that makes any difference to you. Uh, for me, it, it does. Was Scott Morris. Uh, Scott Morris just wants another attaboy in, uh, on his on his gold star list. But right now, if you look at the teams that are in contention uh, in, in any division, the Jays, the Yankees, the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, the Cardinals, Brewers. All those guys, maybe even the Astros, although I'm, I'm not sure they're, they're, they would do that, but every team, the Dodgers, all of them, if you put Soto on the team, automatically they become a favorite. And why is that? Because Soto hits everybody, and if you're already a contender, that bumps you up above everybody else. He doesn't care whether he's facing Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. 
and he changes the way a team works. If think of it this way, and if if you have Ron Lacuna in right field, Mikey Harris in center field, and Juan Soto in left field, why do you need Adam Duvall? Why do you need Eddie Rosario? Those guys are going to play every day. Okay, you're going to keep one. I'm not saying you're going to throw them away, but they're not going to start. Those three players that I named would be your starting outfield in every game from now on. If you could get rid of Ozuna in the process, you want them in the DH, that would be fine, but I think that's a fallacy. But look, if you put him in the Mets outfield, you put him in the Yankee outfield, that's they're won 60-odd games already. Geez, that's even disgusting to think about. The Dodgers don't really need an outfield help, but they did lose Chris Taylor. They have the resources to do it. If he goes to any team, that team automatically jumps to the front of the queue. That's going to entice owners to open the checkbook a little bit. Now, what's it going to take? Well, first of all, you don't really have to extend him. The Nats aren't going to give you time to try and negotiate a contract. That's not going to be. It's going to be give me your offer, best offer, and take it or leave it. it you know, you have to do with that what you have to do. I wouldn't worry about signing him because if I go to the postseason three times and win two of those. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's worth doing. Yeah. You can go out there and you can say, okay, I'm going to give you, I'll put in a couple of major league players. I'll send you Duvall. I'll send you Arcia. Uh, I'll I'll throw in Kyle Muller and Vaughn Grissom and, and maybe a couple of low low value arms for there. And there you go. Maybe Bryce Eller goes along too. Uh, that would be enough, I think, to get him. Uh, if I weren't, if we weren't their next door neighbors, <laughs> and. I don't think Rizzo would trade him to us just because he'd hate to see him come in there every week. Having said that, I, I think we could do it. My real belief is that he's going to end up somewhere we don't even we don't we already been considering right now. But you can do that now. Otani's only a year. You're only going to get him for two postseasons. So I would still do it I, if it, if if they wanted to trade Otani. I'd package up Ian Anderson, and I'd package up Kyle Muller, and I'd package up somebody else, and I'd send them to L.A. tomorrow morning because, or let them play with the other team tomorrow night because Otani's both <laughs> yeah. the kitch, a pitcher and a designated hitter, and he can play the outfield. So you've, he solves, you know, he replaces Anderson in the lineup, and he puts that big left-handed bat in the lineup, and he's going to put you in the postseason this year. And he's going to put you in the postseason next year if you do the rest of your stuff. I think it can be done. Do I think the Braves will do it? Nope, don't think so. Uh, Anthopoulos has been building up his minor league system to fill those holes. That was his his goal in this draft. That's why he drafted the way he did. And I think that that will be his uh, position from now on. He will just stay uh, with with what he has, and he'll go out and he'll he's going to add a pitcher and maybe add a reliever, and maybe he'll find that left-handed bat. But I don't think, uh, as much as I would love to see Soto playing left field for us tomorrow night, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, I w- just to play a little devil's advocate here, because, I mean, why not? We have seen the Braves dabbling in the best players available in various and, and sundry ways. We saw some overtures to George Springer. We saw overtures to Justin Verlander. We saw overtures to JR Rio, or JT, excuse me, Rio Muto when all those guys were available. So while I agree this is not the style, and of course we did get Matt Olson, but that was probably a little different situation. The Braves really have still, 
at least explored the options and explored the possibilities of going for these kind of best players. And of that group I just mentioned and add Soto to it, I got to think Soto's better than all of those guys. While it's going to be extreme competition, while it's going to be a, a, a situation that's going to cost an enormous amount of prospects, I got to think you got to at least make the phone call and say, what would it take? Right now, MLB Pipeline lists the Braves prospects as, in order, Kyle Miller, number one, Bryce Elder, two, then Braden Shoemake. I think that may be a little bit uh, uh, high there. Yeah. Uh, Vaughn Grissom next. I would put him third, yeah. Tucker Davidson, Freddie Tarnock, and Jared Schuster. That's the top seven. I got to think that it would take probably at least five, of, four or five of those guys plus maybe an RC and a Duval to help the, the Nationals get through the rest of the season at least. There's also the possibility that you'd have to take on Patrick Corbin's contract. He's due a boatload more money. I think it's like $70 million over the next two seasons after this one, or, or at least uh, in, in combination, that's $70-ish million. You, you'd have to probably see if you could rehab him somehow, but it might be a situation where you could maybe get away with a, a prospect or two less, depending on the druthers of the Nationals, to see what they want to do with it. But they need to replenish their farm system. And, yeah, if the Braves are dead last, it's going to be uh, certainly an uphill uh, climb if, if everybody really thinks that they're 30th. Another thing you could do, I suppose, is put in a player to be named later because you can trade the draft picks you just made if you get them signed by August 1st, of course. You can trade them after the World Series is over. You can name them as, a, as one of them as a player to be named later and ship them along and see if you can get Soto. Again, I think you got to at least make the call and, and explore the possibilities for him and or Otani, something like that. No, you're not going to get them both. It'd be an or. <laughs> but at the same time, um, if you want to make your team better instantly and really uh, put a jolt of electricity throughout the clubhouse, then you can go with something like this. Otherwise, you know somebody else is going to do it. And the best scenario I can think of is that Seattle gets him because he's about as far away from comp actual competition for the Braves as anybody else I could think of that might be interested in. Because just about everybody else I think who might be making a serious run is in the National League, and we don't want to see Soto uh, showing up in the playoffs. That that might not help. And I think I think Trader Jerry up there has got a good case for it. I mean, we we talked about this a little bit before before we came on came on board here, but he has uh, if if he wants to do this. He has the prospects to do it, and he has the money to do it. it he can he can throw them uh, Jared Kelnick, uh, Taylor Trammell, the rookie of the year last year, Kyle Lewis. Uh, he can throw a Mitch Hanniger in there with him. He can really, you know, Hanniger's been in the major leagues. Lewis is major league ready. Trammell's been in the major leagues. Probably needs a little work, but you know, he could he those are first round first round picks, and. He can he can put them in there and he can probably throw in another couple of pitchers along there with him to get this guy. And if they de I don't think they will will throw Corbin's contract in there because it becomes very complicated. He's owned seventy one million dollars in the next two seasons and he's got about another eleven million due this year. 
So you're talking about $82 million over the, over the life of the deal. I think Corbin's could be fixed. And the reason I say that is I look what the Dodgers did with, with guys that were cast off. So they're now their starters and, and, and we're in the all-star game. And I look, I look at what, uh, other teams have done with, with pitchers that everybody gave up on. And I think, you know, sometimes he's got stuff. He just doesn't put it where it wants to be. I think, you know, at the worst, you turn him into a late-inning power reliever because he throws nice and hard, and he's got the pitches. But that's a very expensive reliever. That's the that's the whole uh, Tampa Bay roster, uh, uh, payroll uh, in his, that you're paying out over the years. But I think Jerry DePoto could do it. I, again, uh, the Braves the Braves would probably have a better shot at getting Otani uh, simply because uh, he's on the West Coast and – and we could throw them two pitchers and a couple of really good players, and and I think that um, Manasian might take that because he knows most of the players over here. But you know, if he wants to do that, now I don't know that uh, Artie Moreno is going to let him do that. Uh, and we certainly we haven't seen any indication of it. But it would, you know, if I'm him, I'm going to the boss and say we got to trade this guy because uh, he's not signed it back here, and we need to get something out of him that will make us good. So it makes sense for them to do it. On your point about the Braves have dabbled in this, uh, Anthopoulos has done this before. He went and got Josh Donaldson. I think if he wanted to do it, he'd find a way to do it for one of them. I'm just not sure he really wants to do that after uh, putting all his time and effort in re- into rebuilding the system. Well, at the same time, i got to wonder, I, again, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Let, let's suppose that the Braves do what we expect them to do during the trade deadline, which is, Go find a, a pitcher, maybe a Tyler Maley, maybe a Martin Perez if the, the Rangers are willing, and I'm thinking they're getting maybe less willing. But, you know, guys like that who have a, maybe about a four ERA who are going to be innings eaters. Noah Syndergaard. Get him on the, Noah Syndergaard, get him on the cheap. Guys like that, I think, might be the kind of guy that we expect them to go get. Guys are going to be very low cost. Uh, we're still kind of holding our breath to see what happens with Kirby Yates, see if we actually need to go get somebody uh, for the bullpen. We probably still do. And maybe a bat someplace that's uh, nondescript. People have been talking about Vogelbach lately from Pittsburgh. I don't know that he's the kind of guy we, we do there. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. If we're talking those kind of guys, are you excited for the trade deadline? Well, no, I, I don't Not think... Not particularly, yeah. I don't think that... Um, what was the last time we were excited for a, for a for a Braves? I think I guess the relievers in 2019, huh? When they well, last, last year when we had that flurry right at the end and got a whole yeah, bunch of outfielders was pretty. But exciting. when you read the names, were you excited? <laughs> uh, when I saw Jorge Soler, I was like, oh, that might be interesting. Yeah, uh, it might be. I mean, but again, you know, you're talking about, hey, I think this guy could be good, and oh my God, look at this guy, different excitement, okay? <laughs> You could yeah. go if you go out and get get Thor and and bring Iglesias back with him. Then you say, hey, that's really that's really a step up because now you've added another closer and you've added innings to the innings to the rotation so that you don't stretch Strider and Anderson out and and get them into into unfamiliar get Strider particularly in unfamiliar territory uh, and put so much pressure on Anderson to be good every time. So I think that you know in in baseball terms in terms of value for money received and will these guys do what's needed yes i think that that would be interesting and understandable now if you go out and get otani and inglesius that makes me a lot happier (laughs) (laughs) i i just again i i think 
See, we're at a hunt. We're two hundred and seven million dollars in competitive balance tax now, so we're thirteen twenty three million below below the uh, the two hundred thirty dollar cap. My math is, you know, I'm, I got I've got Stephen Colbert's calculator out here. We're twenty three million below the cap, so we can take either one of those guys, both of those guys, and not bust the cap. That to me makes sense because if you could go in and do it, Otan and Iglesias uh, possibly are enough to push you up because you got a bat, a pitcher, a pitcher. That probably does it. Now, will the Angels trade him? I don't think so. I think Artie Moreno just. I think he just doesn't know what he wants, and that's whether that's the result of that's why his roster looks the way it does. And I, I just think, I just think that maybe I don't think whether Perry's got that kind of leverage out there or not. Having said that, that would be the kind of deal that would do it. I would, I would, I would push in the chips and get Soto if I could, because that kind of deal makes the team. You, you put that in the outfield, and every, all of a sudden, everybody says, I don't really want to pitch down. I think I'm getting a little flu-like syndrome here. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, again, I, you know, you don't need to do that we, if everybody plays the way they should. But, you know, Ozuna is dead weight right now. And uh, Duvall, he, uh, he hits bad pitches. And when you get to the postseason, those pitches don't turn up nearly as often. So you're, you're leaning on Eddie. Uh, Rosario a lot, and you're hoping somebody uh, can you can find somebody who can do William Contreras can DH because Ozuna is not hitting anybody, but again bad pitching. All right now he pitcher hits his bat, and that's really good. Other than that, he ain't getting it. And so I, I just think that's the hole for me is you got two outfielders who could do better but aren't doing better, and second base boy uh, I don't know if Cano is going to be the answer or not. Uh, but and Aussie wasn't hitting before he went down, and Arcia wasn't doing. In fact, Arcia's numbers and Aussies are about the same. So second base is sort of a sort of a black hole for for uh, batting average right now and for hitting. So we've got like three players that we go every week. Go oh boy, I wish I had somebody else hitting it right now. Um, so I think he's going to do something. It's not going to be anything drastic like last year. Even if he uh, uh, doesn't push in the chips, he's going to do something. Let me leave this last word here on the subject, and that comes from the interview that you shared with me about Anthopolis saying just within the last couple of weeks to to an audience that he's after a left-handed bat for the lineup. That yep. was the that was the phrase. Soto is a left-handed bat. I would remind you, and so is Otani. Yes. So there you go. <laughs> At so least we can dream, right? Yeah, that's true. We we can at least dream about those things. If it happens, then we'll all be shocked together. But we can at least chat about it in a in a fun way here because I suspect we're going to end up with a Vogelbach kind of like guy, but <laughs> or something was like it, that. Was it Tony? Was it was it uh, Tony Lasorda that said we only need two players to to win the pennant? Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth, and Walter Johnson. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's sort of what we're talking about here. But, uh, yeah, I um, we're just going to have to see what happens. I, I trust him to do the best he can with, with what he's got to do it with. Uh, I mean, I've, I've come hard on him in some of these deals in the past, but he's done, he's done so much. Um, we've, done, we've done so much with so little for so long we can do anything with nothing. So let's, <laughs> yeah, I, let's give him a shot. I, I think he'll make some kind of deal, and I, I think a lot of people will be unhappy about about it, but hey, that's why we're out here talking. Yeah, and 
really, we talked last week about some of these prospects sort of withering on the vine as we wait for them to develop, to develop and they end up with essentially no trade value. You do have some guys with trade value now. The, yes, we may have the worst farm system in baseball, but we do have some guys that have value. And if they think that we're going to have a bunch of guys that are still at the major league level that are going to have some staying power, if they can maybe sign Max Fried or sign, if they keep Anderson's, keep, keep him around, sign Riley. You've got a core of a team that can really have some staying power for the next four to five years. You need to have guys around that, but at the same time, you don't necessarily need extra graduations from the from the minor league system if you have that core in place. Example, Michael Harris has uh, certainly emerged at the major league level. His performance has made Drew Waters expendable, and we've turned him into a draft pick. That's great. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And, you know, if you get a guy like a Soto or, well, a Soto in particular, since he's going to, he would be around for two or three years more than Otani. But if you get a guy like Soto, then you don't need to worry about offense so much. Uh, you can concentrate on pitching. It, all these kind of things work together to, to change your outcomes. What we're going to see, I think, in the next week and a half here before the trade deadline is teams scrambling to try and figure out how to get those guys, Otani and Soto, because they're so far above everybody else that may be available from the selling teams, and there's not that many selling teams. So I think we are going to see some fairly ridiculous prices paid for things, but at the same time, whoever lands guys like that, they're going to have a big leg up for the playoffs for the next couple of years, and, and that's not worth nothing. Yeah, some of the pitchers that, that people talk talking I mean, I almost choked about three weeks ago when somebody said, well, Jose Quintana is really, the Yankees are interested in him. I said, really? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, do they need a clubhouse boy? What is this? <laughs> uh, when you when you hear people, the media, do all the hype about all these things, you know, the, first of all, the worst farm system in baseball is opinion of the people who write in the media. Yes. Teams, other teams have different valuations on players than those guys do. Okay, some of them are pretty close. Some of them aren't. You'll see people take prospects out of a system that nobody knew anything about, and all of a sudden they're starting for them. So give the teams credit for knowing something about the players that they're trading for. Which is um, also except, why you can't uh, predict. Except the Nationals. They gave away Trey Turner, and I still don't understand it. And uh, <laughs> but That's also why you can't predict the draft. Right. I just think there's going to be so much churn out here. You're going to see people overpay for the Jose Quintanas of the world and uh, the the Hendricks of the world. And there's really only about three pitchers out there. Uh, Montas and, and Castillo aren't coming to Atlanta because the price for them is, is Soto-like. And uh, frankly, Montas isn't that good, and Castillo isn't either. Montas has had a shoulder injury this year, and you know what I feel about shoulders. And Castillo's delivery is not exactly the smoothest in the world. So I think I don't think we're in on those guys. And if you see, you might be Tyler Tyler Molly. Uh, Molly is um, also a pretty hot property out there. But those four guys and those four guys are the ones that are going to move that are going to make a difference somewhere. And then you're going to get some relievers moved. Of course, you can you know you can look around the league and pick up relievers here and there that are going to be going to be good place. Uh, so I, I expect them to do something. But uh, I don't have any idea what that is. Yeah, right now, just looking at the stats, I'm, I'm thinking Noah Syndergaard perhaps, just simply because he's been 
pretty consistent throughout the year. At the same time, though, because of Otani and his influence, Syndergaard's only been pitching about once a week, not so much on a five-day rotation, but more like a, a, a six or, or seven. And, and that's like I say, because they, they have had to accommodate Otani. At the same time, he's the kind of guy, again, that the Braves probably need is an innings eater, a guy who has about a four ERA and really, uh, except for a couple of starts, he's been much better than that. So he, he had one start where the, where the Rangers forced him out with, he didn't get out of the first inning. If you take the, I did this numbers because I answered somebody in a, in a, in a, uh, in a comment. If you take that one start out, that two tenths of an inning and those four runs out, his ERA is 3.56. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and he he's got a, his his Sierra is better than Anderson's his his FIP is better than Anderson's his FIP his ERA minus is better than Anderson's his DRA is better than Anderson's his DRA DRA minus is better than Anderson's and I'm not putting Ian down all I'm saying is you're getting getting somebody who is at least as good as Ian Anderson who's experienced and has been in the big and been in the big uh, games. And you could put pitch him here in that same kind of role that he's got in L.A. You know, you, you, there's nothing that says you have to stop the five guys. You can yes. push everybody back a day and plug him in and cut innings out away. You know, there, there's more than one way to skin a cat in this. And, and again, I'm not in love with Syndergaard. You know, you could go out and get a couple other pitchers we've talked about and do the same thing. But uh, Syndergaard is particularly overlooked because all well, his ERA and his fastball in there, he's not blowing 100 by anybody, and nor, nobody's pitching. And uh, and that there's there's an important part of that is pitching is better than throwing, and so it, it makes a difference. I you know I just I think they'll do something, and if he can't find a good one, I don't think he'll do anything. He'll just try to tough it out with what we've got because that's been our been our mo before. There were no pitchers available worth getting, so we just won't get one. Well, if the Braves could write a check, that may be all it takes to get him, though, because he's due about you know, a buck or two less than nine million for the rest of the year, and that's going to be more than I think most teams want to spend on a rental guy. But at the same time, when you don't have a lot of prospect capital and aren't willing to push all your chips on in, on the table, then that's the kind of guy you go get is somebody who, who you go spend the money, send a. Uh, I, I hate to say throwaway prospect, but that's effectively what it would be. You, you send a guy like that uh, the other direction and call it a day. And I think that, given where the Angels are right now, Perry Manassian would certainly take that, especially for his buddy Alex. So yeah, and and again, you know that that left hand bat may maybe uh, what Nate went out of Cincinnati. You know it, it right. It may be that kind of thing. I don't know. Uh, we're just. We're just looking out here and guessing again because uh, we've learned in the past that we have no idea what Alex is thinking. And we're just two grumpy old men talking about this stuff and let's <laughs> see if we can come up with an answer. So I've got nothing else. You got anything else there, Fred, before we get out here? No, I was, I was sort of disappointed in, in the all-star thing. I don't know what anybody else was or not. Um, but it seemed to me that National League scored in the first inning, American League answered in the next inning, and then, uh, gee whiz, everybody sort of stopped. And it was all about, hey, let's get my picture taken with somebody. And, and I know it's an exhibition, okay? The reason we dislike, the reason we say our all-star game is better than anybody else's is because the players play and they play hard. Well, they didn't, they, they didn't play as hard as they possibly could have this year. I, I, and I, I know we gotta get, everybody's gotta get in the game and everybody's gotta do this. And, and for me, I watched it. Sort of, and but I, I I paid absolutely no attention to the home run derby. 
until the final round or so. I saw right. I turned my wife turned it on right after Ron Laconia but got eliminated. That that's how much of it I saw, and I didn't pay any attention to it. I didn't even know who was in the final until until they went up there. Um, so yeah, I guess it proves that uh, people like to see people show off uh, the bat and the home run derby. Uh, and you know the All Star Game doesn't mean anything, so I'm not going to necessarily die for that ball, or or you know I'm going to try to swing for the fences. Uh, I forgot who the reliever was. He said, "Why didn't you throw a curveball to get that guy out?" Guy said, "I throw ninety, I throw ninety five miles an hour. They didn't. Nobody wanted to see me throw an eighty mile an hour curveball." Uh, <laughs> so I think we've lost something in the game, and I, I thought the uniforms were horrible. Uh, yes. But uh, I just I was disappointed in those. And not as disappointed I was as as, as I was to hear uh, Mamber talk about what he's what he wants to do with baseball next year and how he's been so generous to the minor league players. And oh, I almost choked on that. So ahem, I'm just uh, that's where I'm at for this week. I'm pretty grumpy. Yeah, I guess I am too now. <laughs> yeah, the uniforms. Yeah, I'm glad they used the logos at least for the teams on the uniforms. But other than that, I wish they'd maintain the colors and not just going all gold on everything because that kind of was stupid it made it so that unless you had a zoomed in uh, picture from the camera of a particular player it's hard to tell who was who that's number one number two is that uh, i still not sure i'm i'm on board with miking up players during a game the uh, banter between Trevino and Nestor Cortez w- was uh, fascinated. Yeah. yeah, but I still got to think uh, it was uh, had to be a distraction to those guys. Although I guess you can't argue with his results, but I, I'm not sure I like the idea of miking up players during a game in general. As far as the uh, comment from uh, Manfred about both the uniforms and the minor league uh, pay, it just continues to show that he is completely tone deaf and not um, on board with anybody's problems at all. Uh, somebody pointed out that he's making $17 million a year as commissioner. I don't know that I can verify that uh, definitively or not, but supposing that's possibly true. Anything and he makes is an overpayment. Anything he makes is an overpayment. If you take two or three million dollars from his payment, you could probably double the, uh, at least double the, the payments to every minor league player on the Braves system. It's that kind of um, money we're talking about. It's only, only a couple million extra to, to do that. And then you would have players that would be dedicated to their craft more because right now, uh, when they're off the field, they're worrying about making ends meet. If you're only making fifteen thousand a year, that means uh, you know over that six month period, that means you you probably are working for fifteen dollars an hour at McDonald's and making that kind of money. Uh, come on, guys, the, these are supposed to be professional baseball players. Treat them that way, and give them uh, some respect. Uh, if you ever want to expand to thirty two teams nationally then you need to have minor league systems for two extra teams, and you're not going to get the kind of talent you need to fill them out unless you start paying these boys. Let's do it. Let's get this done. He's wrong on this subject. He's wrong on the subject of the uniforms, and this needs to be fixed. Yeah, he's been so wrong on so much for so long, I don't expect him to get anything right. I, I, I really, really, I mean, how could you screw up the COVID thing? How could you screw up? How could you go in and, and fine print 
the, the CBA so that you get absolute control over something and, and nobody but 13 lawyers can figure out how you did that until it's too late. How, I, you know, that's not, I just, I haven't liked him since that CBA and I haven't liked, I don't know him personally, I haven't liked the way he's acted and the way he's led and what he's trying to do. I just think he's, everything he's done has been detrimental to the game. And I think that um, uh, the owners aren't smart enough to see it, maybe, uh, because uh, I, they did that with Sally. That he let, they let him kick out Vincent, tell him he only wanted to be an interim, and then he lasted, what, 15 years? So I think the worst thing that happened to baseball was when they made the office of the commissioner uh, part of the baseball instead of an independent, unbiased arbiter uh, to make sure the game was fair and honest to move forward. And, uh, and, and since that point, for me, uh, the the whole the whole system's gone to hell. Yeah, essentially the only people who are happy with Manfred as commissioner are the owners, which tells you probably everything you need to know. Well, he works for them, and then he's now the CEO of making MLB more money. When somebody says, "Why does this happen? Why were the uniforms out there?" Because Nike wanted to do it, and they would pay MLB to do that. Why are the players mic'd up? Because Fox said, "Hey, you know what we'd really like to do." And, uh, and, and they paid more for that privilege. And so there was something else he said, well, and Fox wanted this. And then that right there, he spit that out. Uh, I don't remember what it was, something little. Um, and he said, and, and Fox wanted this. Well, I don't care what Fox wants. Fox, Fox wants your baseball. They, they can't fill that hole. They can't fill those games. There's nothing Fox could put on there that will fill those games. They want the baseball. They need you as much as you need them. So start telling them to back the hell up here and understand that I wish I had a way so that everybody who was uh, had ch- had checked out of the cable network, uh, cable network society could watch their baseball games. Gee, if only you owned a streaming service that shows every baseball game every day. <laughs> oh, if only you did that. Wait, you do. Just lift your stupid blackout and th- and your problem is solved. But he won't make millions of dollars if he does that. So he's going to struggle down this road, this hybrid road, where he's going to get money from Peacock, and he's going to get money from Apple, and he's going to get money from Fox, and he's getting money from ESPN, and he's getting money from all these people are paying him, and that's why there are still blackouts. And and you can't tell me, you can't prove to me that that's wrong, because it is absolutely the the only reason. Well, I think that is going to do it for us on the front porch today. I need a drink. Yeah. (laughs) And I think uh, we need a strong uh, adult beverage here for for Mr. Owens. Uh, So thank you for checking us out. Thank you for listening to these true grumpy old men. This is the Tomahawk Take podcast off Leo's Rocker. We thank you for checking out TomahawkTake.com and our writings there. But we'll just hold everything else we got till next week. See you then. Well, that was fun. Don't get either one of us started on a rant, I guess. Off Leo's Rocker is a podcast presentation for the fans of the Atlanta Braves. It's brought to you by TomahawkTick.com and the far-reaching and ever-growing podcast network of Fansided LLC, a subsidiary of Minute Media, Inc. Opinions expressed on the show today are solely those of the participants, and we are secure on the fact that Minute Media doesn't listen to anything we're doing. All rights reserved. All of the musical selections used in this episode come via rights purchased by TomahawkTick.com and the sound effects too. So please patronize our sponsors, whoever they might be. 
We're going to go inside now and get a glass of sweet tea and leave you with this question. Which is more accurate, a broken clock or Rob Manfred? Hint, it's the clock because it's at least right twice a day. We'll probably hold the next episode until just after the trade deadline, so we'll see you then. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.